I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm talking to you about God creating evil. The Bible says, I create evil. I, the Lord, do. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. That's in Isaiah 45 and 7, but that's not the only place that God says that he creates evil. Now, I'm trying to show you God creating evil goes along with the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty. Let me write this down. And let me read to you the definition of sovereignty out of the Webster's Dictionary. Here it is right here. Sovereignty. We talk about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty does not mean that God is a cosmic police officer walking up and down and saying, I wish you wouldn't do that. I wish you wouldn't do that. This means God is over all evil and all good. He creates evil and he creates good. Satan is nothing but a messenger and servant of God to do the evil that God wants him to do. We saw that in Job, the first chapter, when Satan goes up to the Lord and he says, uh, God says, have you considered my servant Job, how that he escheweth evil, and he's the richest man of the East? And and Satan says, well, certainly he's rich. You've surrounded him by a fence, a hedge. You've got a hedge around him. And God says, and Satan says, turn him over to me and he'll curse you and die. God says, he's in your hand. And these are my instructions to you, Satan. You cannot touch his body and you cannot touch his life. Do you understand me? He said, he salutes him and says, yes, sir, you say salute. Well, that's what he is. He's just a, he's just an inferior in God's court. He says, okay. And so God has the Sabians come in, steal all of his camels away, all of his sheep. And then, then the Bible says the fire of God fell from heaven. It doesn't say the fire of Satan. And then after that, then he's, the winds are blowing, the great winds blow, and his seven sons and three daughters are in a house and having a gathering. And these winds blow the house down and kills his seven sons and three daughters. After all this happens, Job says, uh, he sits down in sackcloth and ashes and says, The Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away. He didn't say Satan took away. He said, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name, the Shem. Blessed be the Shem. Blessed be the authority that has taken my sons and daughters away. And then the last verse says, and this goes back to the Bible speaking. And the Bible says, in all this, Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. That word charge means to attribute to God what God didn't do. The Bible says, Job tells the truth about me. And then, and then the Bible says in that second chapter, Satan comes to God before God again and says, well, skin for skin, a man will do anything to save his own skin. And God says, okay. He says, let me touch his body. God says, okay, you can strike his body from head to foot, but you cannot touch his life. Do you got that, mister? He says, yes, sir. Satan is nothing but a servant of God. 
And so Satan strikes him from head to foot with some kind of bulls, something terrible and horrific. And Job's wife knew who was doing this. She comes out, sees Job in his misery and says, Why don't you curse God and die? And Job says, Shall we receive good and shall we not receive evil at the hand of the Lord? There's another place where it says God does evil. God caused these men and put in their minds to do what they did. The Bible says so. And then the last part of that verse repeats the last verse of chapter 1. And all this Job sinned not with his lips. The Bible says specifically that evil came from God. Now, people that don't believe that, they really don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Let me read sovereignty to you. Sovereign. It comes from a Middle English word, sovereign, S-O-V-E-R-A-I-N-E, an old French word, superanos, S-U-P-E-R-A-N-U-S, or the Latin super meaning above, above or superior to all others, including evil. Chief, greatest, supreme, supreme in power, rank, or authority. That means he's superior to Satan and everything that Satan can do. Satan can only do what God wants him to do. That'll be enough of that. Now, sovereign doesn't just mean God is over all the good. He is. He's over all the good. And he's over all the evil as well. See, when you begin to believe that, this is what will make your life not easy, but easier than it is when you begin to believe these verses that say, like Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for good, and, and is a conjunction. It's what you call the coordinating, C-O-O-R-D-I-N-A-T. I-N-G. Coordinating conjunction. It means we're going to connect what has been said to what is about to be said. And we know a conjunction connects two sentences or two independent or dependent clauses or two independent sentences. So and... On Romans 8, all the Baptist preachers in America, reason I say Baptist, I was raised a Baptist, and I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church. Not that that means anything. I was ordained in 1967, and I've never shown my ordination papers to any human being alive. So you can call yourself a preacher and go do what you want. So Romans 8 and 28, and... I'm talking about God creating evil. This would be God creates evil. Part 8. Now some people have fought me over God creating evil. Let me ask you this. Do I need to cancel all of these eight messages counting today? And this won't be the last one. It's all over the Old Testament. Now, if you're going to look at Romans 8.28, 
you have to look at the verses before because and connects the verses before. That's what a coordinating conjunction does. That's not college uh, English. That's 8th and ninth grade English from 1952 and 53. I was in what they called junior high then. They didn't have middle school then. It was elementary, uh, 1 through 6, junior high, 7 through 9, and high school, 10 through 12. That's what it was when I was in school. There was no middle school or any of that. Now, got to go back over here to Romans. Romans, I'm still in God creates evil of the Old Testament. But I'm going to give you a little introduction to it. Look here in the evil that God does in our life. Look at Romans 8. I've brought this out to you. I'm going to try to make it short because I'm still in the evil that God is doing in David's life that's bringing about perfection in his life. So Romans 8. We see that verse in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Just because you say you love God don't mean you do. That word love is agape. Agape, I've said this a thousand times. That's a relationship that kings had for their subjects. That fathers had for their families. It was a law. Agape, the Bible says in Second John 6, this is love. When you say this is something, you can say equals. And that word love is agape. So you want the best definition for agape, you'll find it in Second John 6. Agape equals walking in his commandments. That's what agape is. So anywhere you find agape, you can substitute these words, walking in God's commandments. You can substitute anywhere. When the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, Jacob was given the commandments of God. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Did anybody else get the commandments in the Old Testament? Besides Jacob, no. Jacob equals equals Israel. There in the 32nd chapter of, of, uh, of uh, Genesis. I'll get it in a minute. 32nd chapter of Genesis, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So when it says, Jacob have I loved, it's saying, Jacob have I given my commandments. Nobody else got them. What about us? He wrote them on. He wrote his commandments on tables of stone in the Old Testament, kept them inside the Ark of the Covenant, and sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant with blood. Now he writes his, his laws on fleshy tables of our hearts and sprinkles our hearts. So our hearts are the true Ark of the Covenant. Now, when he says that, you got to go back. I'm just going to try to make this quick. You got to go back to all these places where it says groan. You'll find the groan in verse 22. Uh, and we know that the whole creation groaneth. Creation is kathesis. 
The vessels of wrath are not a creation. We are a creation. We're we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are his creation. Vessels of wrath are fitted to destruction. They are chaos. That's what vessels of wrath are. We're the creation of God. So he's talking about we're the ones that groan. It has to be only believers because groan is the word stenazo, S-T-E-N-A-Z-O. And stenazo is the verb form of the word stenos. Stenos is the word straight is the gate. It's the word straight means to crowd through a narrow opening and that's why we groan because we get so much flack from our kin folks from our families from our associates our acquaintances we're going oh man oh me we get together and we say i talked to my mother and she won't listen to what i'm saying she told me to get out of the house and not to come back i've had that told me dozens of times I tried to tell my brothers and sisters, I tried to tell my children, and they just don't want it. And you're groaning over that. That's the groaning. That's the bothering. And straight is the gate, and narrow is the way. Narrow. So when you're going through the straight gate, you enter the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. And it is a form of the word thalipsis. And thalipsis is the common Greek word, tribulation. And what happens, the evil that God brings in our lives causes our groaning. He doesn't touch the hearts of our mother, our father, our sister, our brother. And that bothers us, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And we say, God, why can't you save my brother? Well, if he's not elect, he won't. He only saves his elect family. And then he talks about, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. We're all doing this together. And he says down here in verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves, which have first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan, stenadzo, Within ourselves. That's the verb of straight. When you look at at Matthew seven, thirteen, fourteen, 14. Uh, straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few will find this straight gate. That's because God only gives a few the hearing ear and the seeing eye. Within ourselves. Grown within ourselves. Waiting for the adoption Remember Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestinated us into the adoption of children. We were predestined to be adopted. Adoption is the word huio, H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. Huiothosia comes from huios and tithemai. Huios means sons. Tithemai means to place you don't place yourself as a son when you're an orphan. and You don't place yourself in a family. Somebody comes to the orphanage, they pick you out. You don't pick them out. And then he goes on down here in verse 26. 
it's all the fire and the trial and the tribulation we're going through. God creates that evil in our lives. And he creates us to save us from it. Sozo is the word saved. It means to be taken from one point all the way through another point and to be preserved from the tribulation, from the narrow way as we go through this life. When people say, why don't you... Why don't you believe Charles Stanley's telling the truth? He don't teach this. You've got to go through tribulation. I've noticed that when I listen to guys on TV, preachers, God wants you to have a wonderful life, and he wants you to have such a wonderful time, and he wants you to fellowship in the truth with the Lord and go listen to free will preachers. No, he doesn't want that. That's not what he wants. He what Paul said, we must and must tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Acts fourteen twenty two. That's where he was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. He said, We have to go through that if we're going to heaven. That's the evil that God creates in our lives. Then he says down here in verse twenty six Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought because we're going through the trial and the tribulation and the persecution. And it's causing our groaning, isn't it? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We can't even speak it out. We don't even know how to overcome. When our mother, my mother told me to get out of a car one time. I'll make you get out of the car if you keep talking about predestination. She was gentle and quiet and sweet and didn't, she never cussed. She never got mad at anybody. She was the gentlest, sweetest, kindest woman I ever knew, but she did not like this truth. She said, don't you talk to me about that. She said it real quiet. Jimmy, I will not have that in the car with me. Disappointing. And then he says down here, and we know that all things work together for good. For whom he did foreknow, those are the ones that groan. Whom he did foreknow, prognosco. He also did predestinate, prohorizo. Prohorizo. Predetermined, before determined for the boundary of horizon, the light. And to walk in the light, you have to walk against the truth. And God has to, you've got an inner and an outer man. When you're born again, you've got the inner man that serves the law of God. That's Christ in you. And you have the outer man that serves the law of the flesh. The outer man serves flesh. And he has predestined that its inner man will quit that outer flesh and die to the flesh or die to self or take a daily cross and die daily. And this inner man is going to take over over the years. And that's what Romans 8 and 29 is about. We've been predestined to be conformed. The conforming is by the groaning, by the evil that God brings in our lives. He brings the evil in our lives that makes us groan. Bothers us. Bothered me for years. I'm glad I'm 82. I don't like being 25 or 30. That's too hard. 
I don't know how the kids live this day and time. It's so hard. What if a person is a believer at 22 or 24 years old? They're in for the ride of their life this day and time. I've actually had a boy come and call me the other day and said, I'm 22 years old and I really love this message you preach. I said, you're in for a long, hard time. It's not going to be easy. So this is what predestination is the same thing that I'm talking about in the Old Testament when God says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. It's that very thing. When when God says, I'm going to bring evil upon the house of David because he he was a believer in me. I loved him. He was a man after mine own heart. And because he committed adultery and murder, adultery with Bathsheba, another man's wife, Bathsheba. I need to not be writing while I'm talking. Bathsheba. Adultery with Bathsheba, when she, he, and he murdered her husband, murdered Uriah the Hittite. And she had to be beautiful. And God said, just for that, over that 12th chapter of, of Second Samuel, he said, I'm going to bring, we'll look back at it one more time. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but what I'm doing, I'm going to finish up I'm going to finish up, try to finish up David's life because of what? Back up. Well, come back here. It has some notes on it. I don't know if I'm going to use them or not. Over here in... uh, here in 2nd Samuel the 12th chapter after David had committed adultery and murder and after Nathan had come to him told him the story about the man that had the one little ewe lamb the man that had many that came down and took this lamb and David got enraged and said tell me who it is I'll have him killed and Nathan said, Thou art the man that you, David. Broke David's heart, and he wept and cried. And God killed that baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with. And God said these words. These apply to us as well because of what I just told you about Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. He's predestined us to conform, and he's predestined David. David was real innocent. He was just an innocent shepherd boy when he came to the throne. He'd never really been through a lot. He went out there and killed Goliath, but he hadn't had a lot of years of trial and persecution in his life. So here's what God says he's going to do to him. In verse 10, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, David. You're going to have problems with your kids. With your nephews, they're going to drive you out of your mind and you're going to be crying out to me. 
pulling your hair out saying these sons of Zerah, Abishai, and Joab, my nephews, are too hard for me. They're always wanting to kill somebody or they're killing people that have no business doing that. And then he says, says down here in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise evil up against thee and out of thine own house. I'm going to take your wives and I'm going to give them over to your neighbor, which is your son, Absalom. I'm going to have him sleep with your wives, your own son, in the sight of all Israel. And he did that in Second Samuel 16 and 21. He said, and he got that advice from Ahithophel, David's chief counsel. You keep, and you may be wondering, why would those people turn against David? Maybe they looked at his sin of adultery and murder and said, we believe the way we look at things. This is kind of the way people think today. The way we look at things, that Jim Brown doesn't have any business. Being the preacher there, he's been such a sinner in his life. You're right, I have been. God has changed me, and he's changing David, and he's, cha- he's changed Saul from being the killer that he was. Now, we've already gone through all these things that David's son, Amnon, rapes David's daughter, Tamar. David's son, Absalom, plans for two years to kill Amnon, and he kills him. Then Absalom runs out of the country, runs home to his mama. And then then after a couple of years, Joab, who is David's, David's nephew, and he's his commanding general of his army, he somehow talks David into bringing bringing Absalom back home. Then Absalom gets back home. He somehow, he starts charming the people at the gate of the city and he has such long, beautiful hair and he is a beautiful person, probably a real handsome guy. He had a, he had a way with him where he could charm people. People that charm all the time, I don't trust them. I want a man to be blunt to the point. You can be gentle and be blunt to the point. You can be, you can talk in an easy voice and not be cutting and abrasive, but say the truth. People say, my my little brother told me a time. He said, Jimmy, you know more about the Bible than any preacher I've ever seen. But let me tell you how you need to use it. Then you are so ignorant. The Bible tells me itself how to use it. Seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Parhesi is the word plainness. P-A-R-H-E-S-I-A. Parhesia, P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A. Great is the word polis. It means often, as often as you can, use plainness, be blunt, to the point Do not circumvent. That means to beat around the bush. Circumvent comes from circle. Do not circumvent a situation. Go straight to the point. If I have something to say to somebody, you ought to be with me out in public. I I just start saying things real plain. I was with the guys the other day. I was giving a guy a DVD about baptism and I started explaining it and I wanted them to stay there and listen so they could hear how that I witnessed. 
they went on to do something else. But I just sat there and said, baptized doesn't mean to dip in water to immerse. It just does not. It means to cover something with a stain or die. And that's the blood of Christ. And he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And I told him all about baptism. And he said, man, I've never heard anything like this before. Just get blunt straight to the point. And I didn't. I wasn't loud or noisy. I didn't get hard. I just said, this is what it means. We use great plans of speech. Now, David's son Absalom decided it's time for me to take over the kingdom because he was getting so popular among the people. That's over there in that 15th chapter, I believe it is, of Second Samuel. Sometimes I get these chapters mixed up in my mind. Yeah, in the 15th chapter... Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, and then he believed they want me to be their king. So he gets him a chariot and 50 men in front of him. Anytime a man was going to be king, he got in a chariot and put 50 men to run before him. That was announcing, I am to be king. He did this without David's permission, because Absalom's not going to be king. Now, David fights Absalom. Joab, the sinister guy in this story, the guy that nobody ever shows him in his true color whenever you see a movie about David and Bathsheba and Absalom standing over the side and he's always stiff in a soldier position. Yes, King David being real respectful. Joab wasn't respectful of nobody. That was David's nephew. And he was the commander of all of David's armed forces. Back in that day and time, the men would listen to the commander of the forces, but not the king. And uh, and he said, I'm going to mount me up. I'm assuming the place of being king. Well, that didn't work. So he declares war against his father, chases David out of Jerusalem. David goes north of Jerusalem, crosses the Jordan River, goes to the city of Urfridge, refuge, Mahanium, M-A-H-A-N-I-N-A-M, I believe it is, Mahanium, right across the Jordan River over into the land of Gilead. And, and his son Absalom chases him. David settles down in 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 Mahanium. Oh, here, here's the Dead Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Jordan River. It comes out of the Sea of Galilee, empties into the Dead Sea. Over across the river is a city over there in the land of Gilead. And that's the, the refuge city of Mahanium. And then David sends his three super generals, Abishai, his nephew, Joab, his nephew. These guys are two fighting monsters. They'll get you if you go in a battle. They'll kill you. And Ittai, a Philistine that loved David, they go against him. And then one of Joab's soldiers finds, finds Absalom hanging from a tree up here by his 
long stresses of hair. And he goes and tells Joab, and Joab says, why don't you kill him? He says, no, I can't do that. David said, nobody's to touch Absalom. He loves him. So Joab goes and sees Absalom, throws three spears into his heart. And then David mourns over the death of Absalom. And Joab goes in and just jumps on David like he's a red-headed stepchild. Just jumps and chews him out. You're you're mourning over him when he'd want to take the kingdom. Well, we go on. And then Joab murders all these different people. Amasa, Abner, uh, Absalom, and Uriah the Hittite. Joab has no qualms about killing anybody. And then... We've come to the end of David's adventures in Second Psalms, Second Samuel. Then we go into First Kings. Remember, God said the sword will never leave your house. Just because we end Second Samuel and David numbers Israel and God kills seventy thousand people in Israel because of David numbering Israel, because David is taking credit for all of his victories. With these 1,570,000 men of war. He's taking credit. But you'll only find that in, you'll find that number in First Chronicles 21. You'll find that number. That's how many people he had in his army. And he had forgotten that while Saul was chasing him from the 19th chapter of 1 Samuel through the 31st chapter, he only had 400 to 600 men, and God worked all these miracles to deliver him from this man Saul who thought David was trying to steal his throne. And he wasn't. God set him up as king. Now, now we're going to go into David dying. We start in First Kings, the first chapter. This now, God is not through bringing evil upon David's house. He's not through. Now, Absalom has tried to assume the throne. Absalom has tried to assume the throne. We've got the same thing happening again in this first chapter. First Kings, first chapter. Now, King David was old. He's an old man. Boy, I know what that's like. I feel for him. And stricken in years. And they covered him with cloths. And he got no heat. So they come up with this idea. We'll go out and get a young virgin and she will warm him up. Wherefore, his servant said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord, the king, a young virgin. Let's give him some warmth. And let her stand before the king and let her cherish him and let let her lie in thy bosom that my lord, the king, may get heat. Sounds sexual. Could have been. Could have been just the fact that they were wanting to warm him up because they didn't have electric heaters back then. 
So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. Now, Abishag doesn't sound like a cool name, but the woman had to be drop-dead gorgeous. And the damsel was very fair. That's what it That's what it means. She was beautiful. And cherished the king and ministered to him that the king did not knew her not. He didn't have any sexual relationship with her. He was old. Then Adonijah, uh uh-oh, who in the world is this guy? Back to the third chapter of 2 Samuel. We're going to see who he is. This is one of the sons of David. He's about to try to take the throne without any permission. He's trying to assume the throne for himself. Let's look at the third chapter of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, you've got to know who these guys are as we're going. 2 Samuel 3. 2 Samuel, third chapter, verse... One And there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David waxed stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were, bought, were, were sons born in Hebron. And his firstborn was Amnon. Now Amnon has been killed by Absalom. Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites. And his second, Kiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Now, Amnon and Absalom are dead at this point, at the point we're in 1 Kings. And the fourth son of David, Adonijah. Adonijah comes from Adonai and Jah. Adonai means the Lord. Jah is short for Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah is what Adonijah means. Now back over here, the first chapter of 1 Kings. God's judgment is still coming. The evil that God said he would bring upon David's house is still happening. Well, we're going to see David die. And the man who's going to bring final retribution upon David's enemies will be his son, Solomon, that's going to be a real good example to us. Don't think that God's going to destroy your enemies in your lifetime. It might be through one of your sons if you're living righteously or one of your daughters. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, this is verse 5, exalted himself and says, I will be king without David's permission without no one calling him to it and he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him that's what the incoming king did you remember Amnon over in the 15th chapter of 2 Samuel 2 Samuel 15 remember that Absalom excuse me Absalom in the 15th chapter that first verse a man who was going to be king got him a chariot, got into it, started racing through the streets and had 50 men running in front of him. And chapter 15, verse 1, 
of Second Samuel. It came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. He's assuming the throne just as soon as he comes back. David doesn't even know what's going on. He says, I'm going to be the king. No, you're not. Neither does Adonijah. Look back over here in the 8th chapter of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 8. This is where the people say, Samuel is the man that's speaking for us. Excuse me. 1 Samuel, not 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. This is where the people say, Give us a king. We don't want Samuel's kids reigning over us because he's got two sons and if they become if they become a prophet after him they're heathens they act like heathens Samuel's a righteous he was the first prophet after they became a nation after they got back across the Jordan River and they settled in Israel he was the prophet of God but look here in the 8th chapter Verse 1, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah, and they were judges in Israel. And his sons, Joel and Abiah, walked not in the ways, but turned aside after money and took bribes and perverted judgment. But God says, if you, they said, give us a king. Verse 5, make us a king to judge over us. And Samuel warns him. He says, here's what will happen if a man becomes your king. God is your king. And he's got lightning bolts and earthquakes and everything you can imagine. Fire from heaven. And you want somebody that is guy that's holding a sword and bows and arrows as opposed to lightning bolts? You're crazy, Samuel says. And he tells him. You've rejected God and you want a man. Verse 10. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord and the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself and for his chariots. Fifty of them. And to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. Fifty of them, the Bible tells us. And when you study this from commentaries, they'll tell you fifty would run before the king. So, get back to First Kings, the first chapter. Verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be the king of Israel. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. See, that 50 men is very significant if you don't know. The king had 50 men run before his chariots. He was announcing, I'm king, whether anybody likes it or not. And his father had not displeased, had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done this? And he also was a very goodly man, talking about Adonijah. But he's going to pay for this. And he was very arrogant in assuming to be the king before David was dead. And his mother bare him Absalom. And he conferred with Joab and the son of Zeruiah, 
the other son, evidently talking about Abishai. And with Abiathar the priest. Remember Abiathar? Abiathar was the one that had escaped. He was a high priest. But notice what he's doing. He's aligning not with David. He's aligning with Adonijah. He has defected. Boy, there's so many people defecting to Absalom. They defected with they defected with with Ab- Absalom the same way. Zeruiah, not Zeruiah, uh, Ahithophel defected away from David. He was David's chief counsel. He defected over to Absalom. He thought Absalom was going to win. So you had you had Abiathar, and he had been one of the high priests of David. But now he's moving over to Adonijah. Well, he must have had a lot of confidence since David was so sick. David is an old man. He's sick. He thinks he can't do anything. He can't stop me from doing what I'm doing. But he did. And back when Zadok Zadok, not CK, okay. Zadok and Abiathar were the high priest. There's only one high priest, and both of these were descendants of Aaron. You had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a high priest. The only reason Abiathar was held to be a high priest was you can find the story of that over in the 22nd chapter of First Samuel. When David was running from Saul, I've said this before, I don't think you can get it all at once, one time around. When David was running for Saul, and Saul thought David was trying to steal his throne when it was God that had Samuel appoint David to be the new king because Saul, King Saul, had ignored God's commandments from the 11th chapter of 1 Samuel through the 15th chapter. So God tells God tells Samuel, the prophet, go down to Bethlehem, Judah. I've chosen me as king among the sons of Jesse and Bethlehem, Judah. Go down there. I picked me a king out. And it was David. God picked out David. David didn't choose the kingdom for himself. And then you go back here. Where did Abiathar come into all this? The fact that he's defecting over to Adonijah's side means this is going to be his end as a high priest. When you get over here into 1 Samuel 22nd chapter, the 22nd chapter, this is where Saul has been chasing David. David has run up to Nob. That's the home of all the priests. That's where they all stay together. David goes up there, and Ahimelech, who is the high priest, he's the father of Abiathar. And the man who had been high priest over Israel up to the time that David was to be king was Zadok. 
He had been the high priest of Saul. So David keeps him as a high priest. And because of this event that happens in the 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel, this is why David keeps Abiathar. And they have double high priests in Israel, Abiathar and Zadok. And they come up to, they come up and he rebukes Amalek, I mean, excuse me, Amalek. He rebukes Ahimelech for giving David sustenance. He gave him food while he's running from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him every day from the 19th to the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel. And he thinks this was David's idea and it wasn't, it was God's. So he goes up to the house of the priests and he talks to Ahimelech and says, "You, you fed him and you gave him a sword? And Saul is the king of Israel as far as the people are concerned. But David is the king as far as God is concerned. And Saul is trying to kill David. This, this is an exciting story if you stop and read First and Second Samuel. And just look at them like they're just regular guys because that's what they are. And in verse 17, the king said unto his footmen, he said to his soldiers, the guys that was running before his chariot, Verse chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, verse 17. And the king stood, the king said unto his footmen, the men that were running before his chariot, that stood about him, turn and slay these high priests of Israel. They're saying, we can't do that. Are you crazy, King Saul? No. But there was a man named Doeg. He was an Edomite. Doeg had no principle whatsoever. What was he doing with Saul? Well, Saul was associating with people he didn't have no business associating with. Edom is just south of Israel. They have no part in Israel. Doeg was mean. And he tells his men to fall upon these 85 priests of Israel. 85 of them. And Saul's orders was to his men, fall upon him and kill him. They said, we can't do that. And Edom hears the message. Edom says, I will, uh, excuse me, Doeg says, I will kill him. And he does. And look at verse 21. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. Let me read 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I occasion the death of the persons of thy father's house. So Abiathar was the one that escaped. And because he escaped, David puts him in conjunction with Zadok. But here is his downfall in First Kings. He joins the wrong man. He joins Adonijah. Wrong man to look up with, especially when David hasn't given his orders for anybody to become king. 
let's read on. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah. We're talking about Adonijah conferred with Joab. So Joab's going to join Adonijah. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong thing to do, Joab. You've killed all these men, Abner and Amasa and Absalom and Uriah the Hittite. You probably killed a whole bunch of others because you didn't have no qualms about murdering anybody. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they, following Adonijah, helped Adonijah. Wrong thing to do. Not good at all. And Zadok, the priest, and Beniah, the son of Jehoiada. Beniah, when Solomon, his priest, Beniah will become the commander in the commander of Solomon's armies and he will take Joab's place Joab is out and Joab is going to get his come up finally after all of his, when David was pulled his hair out and say, these sons of Zeruiah, they're too hard for me. This Joab and this Abishai, they drive me crazy. But they are my nephews and I didn't choose them. And I made Joab my commander. He said, I don't know what to do with them. Let's keep on. Now Adonijah slew sheep, oxen, and fat cattle by the stone of Zeheleth, which is in Rogel, and called all his brethren, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. He's having a royal party to congratulate him for assuming the throne without David's approval. But Nathan the prophet, who stood before David and said, Thou art the man, remember him. And Beniah the mighty the mighty men and Solomon his brother he didn't call because they would they're not going to come because Solomon is Solomon's mother Bathsheba is upset wherefore Nathan spake unto Bathsheba the mother of Solomon saying have you heard that Adonijah the son of Haggath is reigning as king Did you know that? And David our Lord knoweth it not. Now therefore, come, let me, I pray thee, give thee counsel that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go and get thee unto King David and say unto him, Didn't you swear that Solomon was going to be king of Israel? Isn't that what you said, David? You swore that unto thine handmaid. You told me, Solomon's mother, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then doth Adonijah reign? He took it on himself. 
One thing you don't do when David's king of Israel, take anything on yourself. You do. Judgment's going to come. Adonijah, David's son, is just another example of God bringing evil upon his life. Boy, he's having a hard time, isn't he, all the way to the end. The Bible says, he said, Nathan said to him, The soul will never leave your house the rest of your life as long as you live. Your kids are going to try to take over the throne every time you turn around. This is just like God doing us, putting us in groaning to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Verse 14, Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, I also come in after thee and confirm thy words. Confirm thy words. And Bathsheba went in unto the king into the chamber, and the king was very old, talking about David. And Abishag the Shunammite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king. She called him Lord, his own wife. That's what they called the king. It was honor. And the king said, What wouldest thou? What do you want me to do, Bathsheba? What are you here for? And she said, My Lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. And now behold, Adonijah reigneth. What are you going to do about that, husband? And now, my lord, the king, thou knowest it not, because you're sick in your chamber. And he hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the sons of the king. And Abiathar the priest is following him too. And Joab the captain, the one that's given you so many headaches, the captain of the host, but Solomon thy servant, He didn't call him to this party of his inheriting the throne. He inherited it. He gave it to himself, that's all. And thou, my Lord, O King, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them that who shall sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. It's up to you, David. Otherwise it shall come to pass when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers that I and my son Solomon shall be counted as offenders and we'll have to die. And lo, while yet, while she yet talked with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. <clears throat> He's the one that's real blunt to David all the time. Beat, doesn't beat around the bush. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, hast thou said, Adonijah shall reign after me? Did you ever say that? And he shall sit upon my throne? Did you say that, David? For he has gone down this day has slain oxen and cattle. That was a big, important thing. That was like, and that was like a, a party for their, for the incoming king. 
and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the kings and the captains of the host, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him, and say, God save King Adonijah. They're shouting this. This was his ordination service. But me, even me, thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. But I, we introduced you to him over in the 23rd chapter of Second Samuel, where David is introducing all of his mighty men. He said, Benaiah went down into a pit and slew two lion-like men in the snow. This guy, Joab came, pulled his tricks on him. This is tough as Job. This is as tough as Joab. And thy servant Solomon hath he not called? He's kept them out because he knows David wants them, wants Solomon king. He knows Benaiah is for David. And he knows Zadok is the priest that's for David. This is a family fight. That's what it is. For the throne. Is this thing done by my Lord the King? And you didn't do that, David, did you? And thou hast not showed it in, unto thy servant, who shall sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. Then King David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence. Now he's sick in bed. He's old, infirmed. He don't even feel like doing this. And stood before the king. And the king swore and said, As the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, not Adonijah my other son. And he shall sit on my throne, in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to her husband, the King David, and said, Let my Lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest. I've got to have a priest here to anoint Solomon king to pass the throne to him. Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benai the son of Jehoiada, and they came before David the king. These are the men that are on his side. Jehoiada is a tough man to deal with. And the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and call Solomon his son to ride upon his own mule. When a king rode into a town, he rode upon the colt of an ass, a young colt. That's the way they introduced themselves as king. That's why Jesus said, Go find this colt at this house and bring him here. I will ride in Jerusalem and present myself as king. But instead they crucified him as the Passover lamb. And let Zadok the prince, the priest, and Nathan the prophet anoint him, their king over Israel, and blow you the trumpet, 
and say, God save King Solomon. And that's what they do. Then you shall come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne for he shall be king in my stead, in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Beniah, his commander, the guy who's taking Joab's place, the son of Jehoiada answered the king saying, Amen. The Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. As the Lord hath been with my Lord, the king, even so be he with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of the Lord King David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benai the son of Jehoiada and the Carathites, these were the lifeguards around David, and the Pelathites, these were the couriers, official couriers of the king, messengers to carry the word out to the people that need to hear this. And caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gion. And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and blew the trumpet. And all the people said, God save King Solomon. Hosanna means God save the king. Oh, Adonijah hears the word and he is getting nervous and scared. And all the people came after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of that. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it. Don't you know he is shaking in his boots at this time? And they had made an end of eating. When Joab heard the sound of a trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And when, while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. Remember, Jonathan was one of the fast runners. Jonathan was the son of Abiathar, and Ahimeaz was the son of Zadok. And they were the two that were supposed to run and tell David that his son Absalom was dead. And Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for you are a valiant man. You bring good tidings. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily, our Lord King David hath made Solomon king instead of you. Can you imagine? This guy is afraid. He is like, he has just assumed the throne. That is a death sentence unless Solomon is going to be gentler with him. And the king hath sent with him Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, and Benath the son of Jehoiada, and the Carathites and the Pelathites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, the men that are on David's side, have anointed him king in Gihon, 
and they are come up from thence rejoicing so that the city rang again this is the noise that ye have heard and also Sodom sitteth on the throne of the kingdom Sodom is going to have to build the temple that was planned from the foundation of the world Adonijah and Absalom they did something that was outrageous they just said I'll take the throne without David saying so verse 47 and moreover the king's servants came to bless our lord king David saying God make the name of Solomon better than thy name and make his throne greater than thy throne and the king bowed himself upon his bed and also thus said the king blessed be the lord god of israel which hath given one to sit on my throne this day mine eyes even seeing it and the guests there guests that were with adonijah were afraid i guess they were he tried to just take the throne himself you can't do that adonijah you have to do it with david's permission david's has to give the commandment they rose up and whatever man is when adonijah feared because of solomon he's afraid solomon is going to kill him and he makes a real bad mistake in his fear we'll get to that in a minute and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar now if you don't know what that means the only salvation that a man had if he would grab the horns of the altar let me see if i can find it if he would if he was condemned he's a condemned man that's not see if i can find it he would come if he had done anything that was a reproach to the kingdom there was safety there was sanctuary at the horns of the altar unless he was a murderer here it is right here see these are horns of the altar right here all he had to do is get up there i don't know if it's built exactly like this this is the altar this is the brazen sea or the glassy sea there's the altar and here's the temple and this is the inner part of the sanctuary these all have to be levites sons of levi as long as he could get a hold of the horns of the altar if he had done nothing bad like killing he was safe at the horns of the altar and he went and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar in verse 50 and it was told solomon saying behold adonijah fears you king solomon for lo he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar saying let king solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword let him swear that he won't kill me and i'll let go of the horns and solomon said if he will show himself a worthy man there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth solomon is being very merciful but if wickedness shall be found in him he shall die 
Now he does something wicked that deserves death in the next chapter. So King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. Boy, he sure has come a long way down, hasn't he? Humbling himself. And Solomon said, go to your house. Go to thine house. It's time for David to die. Chapter 2. And the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, and I love these words. I've thought about these for years. I go the way of all the earth. All the earth dies. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. He's talking to Solomon. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Solomon breaks this. Solomon is a great man when he starts. But remember, he married 700 wives and 300 concubines in this same book in the 11th chapter. And God splits the kingdom because of that. He's... Not exactly real upright. Of course, David wasn't either. But God loved both of them. And he straightens them out. Verse 4, that the Lord may continue his word. We're going down through here. Look here at verse 5. Moreover, Solomon, I'm talking to you. Thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, your aunt, Zeruiah, my sister, did to me. You know what Joab did? He killed your first cousin, Amasa. He was a righteous man. He killed Abner, a righteous man, the commander of northern Israel. And he just murdered him. He also killed Uriah the Hittite. And he killed Absalom. He had no qualms about killing or murdering anybody. What he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, Abner. Abner was Saul's commander. Abner was trying to turn the northern kingdom over to David to rule all the kingdom of Israel. And Joab put his arm around him and said, Here, Joab, hold this knife. Uh It stabbed him under the fifth rib. And Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and his shoes that were on his feet. Then he says, Do therefore according to thy wisdom. I didn't know what to do with him. I'm the one that hired Joab, my nephew, to kill Uriah the Hittite in the heat of battle because I got his wife pregnant. Bathsheba. But Bathsheba has Solomon, and Solomon builds the temple of God. Boy, it's hard to figure that out. Did God ordain for Solomon build the temple before the foundation of the world? Yeah. But not without David committing adultery and murder. That shows you that God ordains all evil. 
Then he says, verse 6, Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. You're going to have to kill this man somehow, some way, someday. And he has Benaiah kill Joab. Because he does. Joab also grabs the horns of the altar. But he's guilty of murder, at least we know of, four times. Probably a whole bunch more. But getting a hold of the hand horns of the altar ain't going to help him. It won't save him. How much time do you have, Mike? 17. All right, let me read some more of this. Let me go over here and see if I can't connect some of this sooner. Down here, let's look here at verse 8. Behold, thou hast the Shemai, Shemai, remember Shemai, S-H-I-M-E-I, Shemai was the guy that cursed David as he's crossing the Jordan River going over to the city of Mahanim and he's throwing stones at him and said, you've stolen my master's throne. King Saul, you've stolen his throne. And Abishai is the one that said, Uncle David, I'll kill that dead dog. He said, shut your mouth, Abishai. God has bidden him to throw stones because of my sin. And he's still alive at this point. You got this Shemay to deal with. I couldn't deal with him because I knew that what he was doing was of God. He said, God bid him to throw the stones at me. So he got Shemay, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Bahurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanim. I told you all all about that. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, Will not I will not put thee to death with the sword. He told him that because when he came back across the Jordan River after the battle of Mahanaim, when Absalom was killed and David's coming back across the river, and Shimei is saying, Praise David, praise you. You've just won the battle. <laughs> what a hypocrite. He's cursing David when he's crossing the river, goes into battle when he's coming back. He's praising him. Because he knows that he could die for what he's done. And David said, I'll not put you to death by the sword, but I'm going to leave you to Solomon. You think Solomon might have him put to death? Yeah. For what? For something that Solomon told him not to do. If you notice, God is making retribution on all of these family members of David through his son Solomon after he's dead. Verse 9, Now therefore now therefore, hold him not guiltless. Don't hold the Shemi guiltless, Solomon. He's guilty. I told him I wouldn't kill him when I came back across the river. But he's going to give you problems. He's a problem. People that are problems, they give problems from now on. For thou art a wise man. This is David telling Solomon, you're a wise man. You're going to know how to handle him. Knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead, his gray hair, bring thou down to the grave with blood. Don't let him die a natural death. Bring it down with blood. And David slept with his fathers. 
David dies. You know, this is the only place in the Bible that says David died. He slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Solomon's got the throne. He's got to deal with Joab and Shimei and Adonijah and the Beathars for that matter. He's got to deal with these four people that have defected and gone over to Adonijah. I haven't got much time to go through it, but let me see what I can get to. David slept with his father's first ten and was buried in the city of David. In the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron. Seven is the number of divine refinement in southern Judah and Hebron. And thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And Jesus, David is a type of Jesus. And Jesus died at thirty-three years old. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. And Adonijah the son, oops, he's fixing to do something that's getting him in trouble. And Adonijah the son of Haggath came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, Camest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. And he said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Keep on talking. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. See, he doesn't really believe that David got it legitimately. He's saying, It was mine. And that all Israel set their faces on me. He's very arrogant and very proud. He's not giving God credit where it belongs. That I should reign, howbeit the kingdom is turned around and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. I don't know how I could realize that. He said it was stolen from me. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said, keep talking. <clears throat> and he said, speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king. For he will say thee nay, he will not say thee nay, that he give me Abishag, the Shunammite, to wife. She had to be really good looking. That was the one they got for David to keep his body warm. Adonai said, I want her. Something he didn't really understand. The handmaids and the wives of the previous king belonged to the incoming king. He couldn't have her, no matter how much he wanted her. And Bathsheba said, I will speak for thee unto the king. He's saying something unto his death. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for his mother, for the king's mother. It says the king's mother, but he was the king and his mother's Bathsheba. And she sat down on his right hand and she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, go ahead and ask me, my mother, for I will not say you know. But he does. 
And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. And Solomon's ire raises up and his anger comes up. Because this is the same thing as saying, Let me take part of the throne. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, What hast thou asked Abishag the Shunite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, so he can be king. He gets angry at his mama for this. For he is mine elder brother, even for him and for Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon sware by the Lord, saying, God do so to me, and more also if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life, he's going to die for this. For you realize how what a tight walk you had to walk when you were walking that chalk line in the Old Testament. You mess around with or say the wrong thing and you will die for it. Because we know that Adonijah, the things that he just said to his mother, that was my kingdom. It belonged to me. He's not repentant. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, verse 24, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father and hath made me and house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. He was wanting to sneak back somewhere and get the throne. Maybe in the future to have Solomon killed, but that's not going to happen because Solomon is God's king. And King Solomon said in, by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him and died notice they don't make a big production da, 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 da. and like in the movie the horns are sounding and but I went down there and he ran from him and he no it just says he fell upon him and died that's it Adonijah's day is over it's done we're not going to hear about him anymore and unto Abiathar the high priest said the king get thee to Anathoth unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. You sided with Adonijah. But I will not set this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God. Before David my father, and because thou hast afflicted, thou hast been afflicted, and all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord. You're out of office. Solomon's cleaning up the mess of David's life, isn't he? I think it's funny. That he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spake according to the house of Eli and Shiloh. Then things, then tidings came to Joab. For Joab had turned after Adonijah. Remember that boy, he can't get over Joab. He's the killer. All through Second Samuel, killing people right and left, murdering people. And David's saying, I cannot get over these sons of my sister. Though he turned not after Absalom, he turned not after Absalom, 
when Absalom decided to take over the throne. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. But that's not going to save him. He's a killer. He has violated the one thing that could save him at the horns of the altar. You, he grab hold of him. But now he comes to the horns of the altar and he says, you'll have to kill me here at the altar. So Benai goes back to King Solomon and says, he says, I'll have to kill him there. Solomon said, do it. So he goes back to Joab, holding on to the horns of the altar. And Joab says, you'll have to kill me here. Benai says, no problem, buddy. He falls upon him and kills him there. And there's only one enemy left of David's that Solomon has to deal with. And it happens later in this chapter. And that is the man that cursed him and screamed at him and said, You've stolen my father, my father Saul's throne. Am I out of time? Four minutes. I can't get through him. I'll come back next week and finish up the enemies of David and how Solomon has to have Shimei killed. He's killed Adonijah. He's killed Joab. He's got to kill Shimei. And David said, don't let him go down to the grave bloodless. Kill him if that's what's necessary. They were wanting to steal the kingdom. That's a very serious thing in the ancient world. That's why a lot of times they would have the sons of the previous king killed. Because especially if one was wicked, he'd have his... Remember the 70 sons of Ahab were killed by Jehu? Because... Because one of his sons might rise up and try to take over the kingdom. So they'd have the previous king's sons annihilated. That way they couldn't take over. I love this. This is the evil that God brought upon David's life. And he brings it upon our life. That's why for whom he did foreknow. For is a coordinating. It's a, it's a subordinating conjunction. If it's a subordinating conjunction, it's subordinate to everything that's been said. For. He's talking about for whom he did for no. He's talking about, and we know that all things work together for good because you're groaning and you're going through this narrow way and you're suffering all this evil that's conforming you to the likeness of Christ. That's what it's about. I love this story of David. Boy, he had a hard time, didn't he? We think of King David as being this wonderful king. If you've been a wonderful king and you conquered all your enemies around you, how do you get to him? Through his family and friends. And God touched their minds just like he touched the minds of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. He touched their minds to send Israel back home. Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came into these men. Let me just read one verse to you. Proverbs 16 and 1. Proverbs 16 and 1 says, 
the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Man's heart is prepared by God if it's good or evil. What his tongue speaks comes from God. People that don't believe God creates evil, they just don't believe God is in charge of everything. They they think God will let us have our way if we ask him enough. No, he won't. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. It don't need to ask God for what you want. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth you've given us. We pray that you'll deal with our hearts and our lives. Crush us under your hand with a scourge so we'll be conformed to your likeness. Lord, thank you for everything you do in our lives. We know we are few people in the world. Only few will find this narrow way. Lord, keep us in fellowship one with another because this is what conforms us to your likeness. Fight our battles for us, Lord. I can't fight anybody anymore on anything. We'll give you praise for everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I love that story. You can't do the king wrong and get by, can you? You can't. You can't do the preacher wrong and get by. You may. I may not be able to get you to have you pay, but you're paying the future.